Welcome to the Life and Times of Captain Barney Miller podcast, a series that explores the fascinating story of one of the most iconic figures in the history of maritime exploration. Captain Barney Miller was a renowned seafarer and adventurer who lived during the 19th century, and his exploits have captivated generations of historians, sailors, and adventurers alike. Throughout this podcast, we will delve deep into the life of Captain Miller, exploring his early years as a sailor, his many adventures at sea, and his eventual rise to become one of the most respected and influential figures in maritime history. Along the way, we'll hear from experts on the subject, as well as historians, sailors, and adventurers who have been inspired by Captain Miller's legacy. Now we have to do this show. (laughs) And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what happens when AI writes your intro to the life and times of Captain Barney Miller Fuck you, AI. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it it just got who it was wrong. Otherwise, everything it says is perfectly applicable to what we're doing. <laughs> it just got the main point wrong, but everything else was awesome. Oh, what a good boy. What a good boy. What a good little chat. AGPT. Fuck you. Welcome to the Life and Times of Captain Barney Miller podcast. On this show, we talk about Captain Barney Miller, who was not a sailor. He was a cop. We're talking about three episodes from the end of season five. Computer Crime, which came out March 15th, 1979. Graveyard Shift, which, well, look out. Screw you, April. We're just jumping right over to May, May 10th, 1979. And Jack Sue, a retrospective, which came out May 17th, 1979. We've got Max Gale back in the director's chair here with Computer Prime, with Computer Crime, a story by Dennis Koenig and Calvin Kelly, and a teleplay by Calvin Kelly. Chris, what did you think about Computer Crime? I feel like... And I'm gonna, I feel like we said this last time, I feel like I've seen this episode before. However, that being said, having seen it before, I think it's still good. I think it's a fun episode. I like the two, the two characters, the man who's been cursed and the voodoo obeya, I guess, woman. And uh I like those two characters. I, I think those two characters are interesting. I think the 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 titular computer crime that's going on is a little goofy. And that guy's like. That guy's not getting any fucking promotion. Like, guy's going to jail. Goodbye. Uh, but I mean, hey, th- this show tends to have some sometimes a little bit more of a quaint and uplifting and positive ending as opposed to the Bellevue ending, which is what it normally goes for. So this episode, I think, is fine. And special guest along for the ride, the uh, one of those people that we're talking to about the maritime hero, Barney Miller, <laughs> Mr. Richard Haddam. Welcome to the show again, sir. I'm so happy to be here. And uh, I just want to take one more opportunity to say that AI can suck my dick. And um, and to expound a little bit on the fact that, um, you know, uh, AI, not so good at uh, writing the intro to this show, but maybe it could do something useful for humanity. Like, I don't know, cure cancer or figure out a way to get clean drinking water to every corner of the earth instead of hiding in the shadows, waiting to take my job as a TV writer. I'm a paranoid with proof. (laughs) That was pretty good, Richard. I was waiting to see if you're going to bring that one back or not. Now throw him in the fucking cell and take him to goddamn Bellevue right now. That's right, because I'm a writer, so I know how to do that. So anyway, whatever. Um, Yeah, great to be here, man. Um, I uh, I enjoyed, by the way, these, you know, we're getting into fifth season. Um, I mean, we're actually getting toward the end of fifth season. Um, These are really fun episodes that we're talking about today. And I did enjoy this one. The guy who plays the computer criminal, and by the way, the computer aspect isn't really foremost in this whole thing, which was a little bit Even though it's the titular thing, normally the titular thing ends up being the A plot. It is effectively the B plot. I think that's because it's not that entertaining. Yeah. I mean, it was okay, but but, um, that's, uh, oh God, the guy, the actor's name is Barry Gordon, right? Or or Barry. Yeah. And isn't he a regular on Fish? Well, that's a good question. I don't know if he is or not. When he first walked into or was walked into the uh, squad room, I thought it was Bruno Kirby at first. Mm, and me and too. it took, took him talking. And then once he started to talk, I was just like, wait a second. He's actually shorter than Levitt. 
this is kind of amazing. And I was so surprised that there weren't any height jokes in this episode. I know. I know. Ron Carey's favorite episode. Yeah. I was just surprised that there were no uh, giant turtles crawling out of the sewer that looked like Barry Gordy. Cause that's, or Barry Gordon. Cause that's what I know him from. Cause he's the voice of Donatello from the teenage mutant Ninja turtles. Nice. Like, the original cartoon. Well, it's really funny. Cause like his voice is so distinct that like, I knew it immediately. I was like, Oh man, like that's a, that's like a child. It's like, triggered like a childhood memory for me it's like damn that's that's donatello from the turtles it was it was crazy because yeah i thought it was bruno kirby too he looks so much like to answer your question richard yes he was on 35 episodes of fish as charlie harrison so that's probably the entire run of fish so isn't it weird like he did this whole run on fish I mean, it's not weird because actors kept showing up on Barney Miller playing different roles, but it is kind of funny that he did his whole two seasons on fish and then shows up in this episode. And, you know, it would have been great if he could have said, well, I was working for your old friend. Uh, and, 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 and then I got this new job and, uh, there could have been some crossover magic, but I guess not. No, I think they would say Ava Goda is dead to us. I mean, cause <laughs> He well, we'll talk about that later on in this episode um, when it comes to people being dead. But um, I wanted to really bring up something that I found fascinating. So I was starting. So I watched these episodes twice, and I started watching this episode for the second time. And for whatever reason, it just conked out on me, and I was like, ah, damn it, you know, and I went over to Amazon Prime because we've been very excited. Hey, all these episodes are available on Amazon Prime. Went to watch it there. And Richard, before you even say anything, I do have all of these on DVD. I was just too lazy to put it in the DVD player. So I went over to Amazon Prime, hit play on this episode. It starts with them bringing the computer criminal into the bullpen, it doesn't have any of the opening. It doesn't have any of this thing of Harris on the phone with Wojo talking about the, he's talking to a woman whose husband took one of her dresses and went out on the town. And then his solution is to take one of his dresses that the wife should take one of the husband's dresses. And this whole thing of like Dietrich isn't here yet. And that they're uh, working the night shift now. And we'll talk about that more in the next episode. Their shift ends at midnight. Liz is making a special dinner, like getting all of this set up before this guy even comes into the station. And I'm like, what the hell? And so I watched the other two episodes. They seem to be okay, but I just want to put out there, folks who are big Barney Miller fans, we're not crazy. If you're watching this on Amazon Prime and we're talking about things that aren't in the episode, it's because the guys have cut it out. So a- a- Amazon does not do a great job with no. the old shows. If no. you've noticed, like I've watched Mary Tyler Moore and the, like the soundtrack will cut out for oh. like 10 minutes. They, they really need to go back and, and do justice to the shows that they're platforming. First of all, you're paying for them. Second of all, these are great shows. It's not that hard. You are Amazon. Wow, is my is my anti big studio attitude coming out right now? I guess we'll get to the reasons for that later. But anyway, um, that is crazy because there's a lot of setup in that in that little opening pre credit sequence for this episode that is kind of important. Well, it's like what Disney Plus did with The Simpsons, where they took it and like misformatted it visually right. so that they were cutting like the visual gags of The Simpsons out. Because they oh. re- they like stretched it or something. I forget what yeah. it is exactly. But it's like, what the? Do you guys understand what you fucking have here? No, you don't. Yeah. You just have something and you throw it out there and you do the bare minimum. Because again, like it, it's on streaming. There's nothing with. It's just the episodes. If it's even that. <laughs> so yeah. thanks. Yeah. Cause those things don't exist in a format that could be put out there for people to enjoy only in physical media. And look, I get it. I, what I'm complaining about may seem counterintuitive, but in the age of streaming, it would be nice to have these things on those platforms because yeah. they have the space. It's yeah. Like, it's Amazon for fuck's sake. Like, <laughs> yep. Yep. If anyone yeah, has the space, too. it's Amazon. What? Yeah, there, there was, um, we were watching Remington Steel on Amazon and, and it had that same formatting thing where it's like, wait a second, why, why does it feel like the top quarter of the screen is gone and everyone is sort of like cut off at the hairline? It's, it's disturbing. It's not fun and it's not, it's not worth the money they're charging. Well, when I was a kid, I used to watch I Love Lucy all the time. You know, that was like a great 
rerun, catching up with that and experiencing what my mom had experienced. But I can't even remember how I found this out that I think it was because of context. Eventually, I, I figured out that they were cutting off the first five minutes of almost every single show in order to make room for more commercials because they didn't have the same amount of commercial breaks in the past as we had. This is probably mid 70s, late 70s when I'm watching this stuff. And they would make references to things that had happened in those first five minutes. And I'm like, what are they talking about? And I had to like eventually figure it out that they were chopping these episodes down. So now I'm really curious if I go to watch I Love Lucy on a platform like Amazon, are they just going to have those minutes chopped out as well? Well, here's the thing that what, what you're talking about happened a lot. It was very common with all syndicated shows that, that they would be, there would be a syndication cut mm-hmm. where often from a, a half hour show, maybe two and a half minutes. And from an hour show, maybe five minutes would be cut out for local commercials and, you know, various local station announcements and stuff like that. And that was very common. And then, and then there was this whole thing in the nineties and the two thousands when people were getting their favorite shows on DVD, when DVDs were becoming very popular and people were suddenly realizing, oh, there's, there's whole sections of episodes that I know very well that I enjoy where suddenly there's like, you know, bonus content of here was the actual episode. Right. And so that became, and also like the, the movies that are run in syndication, you know, in the afternoon or late at night, stuff gets cut out for commercials. So people are like, oh my goodness, now we're seeing the actual movie we're supposed to see. Now you would think with the advent of streaming, that's what you would see. And unfortunately, that isn't always the case. Some streamers like Peacock make a big deal out of well, not only are we going to give you, the, you know, the office episode that you know and love, but we're also going to offer you a super fan extended cut, which mm. I think is wonderful. And I think that's what they should do because that's what brings you to that home station. It's like Peacock knows the shows that we love, 30 Rock, Office, Parks and Recs, you know, I mean, the, the NBC shows, and we're going to give you a little extra. I think that is actually great customer service. And I think, you know... Amazon Prime just kind of culls everything from everywhere and then charges yeah. you, you know, which makes it very convenient, but you're not always getting what you're paying for. Right. I mean, the Bollywood you, Cinema Club is a great example of how good, <laughs> how primo those subtitles can be on Indian movies on Prime Video, because holy fuck, some of those are bad to the point where it's almost like I would even suggest you not watch the movie because it the subtitles are that like there's a better movie to suggest because of how bad the subtitles are on the other movie. Like and that's a prime video thing. That's not a hosting somewhere else and prime directing you there. That's on prime. So there that's I, I mean, prime video for me was always like, what is there to watch on prime video? Now there are some um, things, Marvelous Miss Maisel, Jack Reacher. I saw, I think the ringer was talking about how like Amazon prime is like dad streaming now with Jack Reacher. And um, <laughs> what's the other one? Uh, Jack Ryan. Right. So yeah. I, I've, I've seen yeah. that, but then I mean, Lord of the Rings and we talked about that last year, Mike. So I still don't well, think prime video knows what the fuck they're doing. And this is a good example. Cause this is something to, to, that really could bring people in. Right. Yeah, I would say I would say to sort of bring it full circle, um, Shout Factory has a lovely, you know, Barney Miller, the entire series, plus plus I think it's the first season of Fish, it yeah. includes mm-hmm. and bonus features and all, all kinds of stuff. So if you're a true Barney Miller fan, uh, uh and I'm sure Otto Bruno would back us up, you know. Go ahead, treat yourself to the DVDs. Uh, it, I think it's worth it. They 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 look pretty. They look as good as they can look, and the bonus features are fantastic. Yeah, what really stinks about this opening being cut out is this nice rapport between Wojo and Harris, and just seeing those two because you don't tend to see them bouncing back and forth too much. We're going to get them a little bit more in the second episode, which is nice. But just them kind of joking around and being friends and. You know, these two co-workers that have been together now for five seasons going on six. It's like, yeah, this is kind of a, a cool thing. And then also, like I said, we're getting set up that they're working this midnight shift, that Liz is making this dinner, that Barney wants to leave early. We get that. All of that is is yeah. missing. This whole thing of, you know, I'm, I'm going to leave at 1030 and then Wojo like guilting him for leaving work early. And he's like, 
you know, hey, I'm I'm the boss. I I should be able to do this, but he still feels super guilty about it. And then we get I was so surprised because throughout this entire episode, one of the the plots, and I don't I'm not sure if it's the A or the C in this case, but this whole thing of Barney and Liz, and this is so weird that Liz is more present now as an off-screen person than she ever was as a on-screen person. But this whole thing of him almost sexing her up on the phone but not quite and then always being cock blocked i was so surprised because you know richard now i'm no writer nor am i an ai but i think comedy follows the rule of threes so when you get levitt coming in and interrupting him then you get dietrich coming in and interrupting him i thought for sure wojo was going to come in and interrupt him or harris and it's like that never happens. Oh. You know, where's that third right. time where he's going to get cock blocked? Well, it, it is funny because all of that stuff happens. I guess the, I guess sort of the third, the third and final beat in the story is the mojo bag that he gets from yes. uh, Mabel King, which is yeah. really funny. I mean, here's the thing, you know, we get, we get the important stuff, which is we get Barney's point of view of where he is in his relationship and on the road to reconciliation or not with his wife. We, we, we are clear. We clearly understand like, okay, there's this thing happening and I can't fuck it up. (laughs) (laughs) Work cannot fuck this up. And then of course it sort of almost does. And then, and then, yeah, the, the, the sex phone call, clearly she is talking, you know, talking sexy to him and he's getting into it. And then, of mm-hmm. course, Levitt comes in. And, man, nothing is going to make your boner shrink quicker than that. <laughs> so it is really nice. I mean, I really like it. I really, I really, and he's so, and how Linden, I mean, how many times do I have to watch this show and and re-arrive at the conclusion that he is brilliant? Mm-hmm. He's so good. And he's on the phone. That's hard. To, phone acting is so hard. And not everybody can do it. And he does it so well. And you just see every moment on his face. He's listening to what Liz is saying. He's reacting and then getting interrupted. I, it's it's a really good bit. And it's strange because it's really so much this episode is Barney and it's Dietrich. And because when it comes to the, the Obi slash voodoo stuff, I mean, Harrison Wojo are there, but they don't really interact. It's really the actors. It's it's Mabel King and uh, Roger Aaron Brown going back and forth as, you know, Roger Aaron Brown is Dr. Anthony Keeling. He feels that he has a curse placed on him by Mabel King, whose mother Zilla. And yeah, they keep saying Obi, but it's basically, it sounds very much like voodoo, though. I like when they bring up Obi and... Barney doesn't know what the hell it is. He's just like Dietrich and (laughs) and he's got to have Dietrich explain it because the exact same thing happens in the next episode as well. Just like, okay, I need somebody to explain this to me and Dietrich, you're the one. So lays it all out for him, but really it's just those two going back and forth and, you know, she's staring at me. (laughs) Well, it's great. It, it, it brings up this really cool thing, which is his, you know, uh, um, Harris's complicated relationship yes. to his race. Yes. And his constant sort of his attempts to present himself as as not what you might expect in the 70s from an African American police officer, an African American police detective, an African American person. So he's clear, you know, he's and he's a self-conscious character, the way he dresses and the way he, you know, you know, everything about him has a little bit of style and a little bit of like, you know, he knows how he is seen. Mm -hmm. And now, and now in this story, he's totally horrified because this this well-educated PhD, you know, Johns Hopkins doctor totally believes in voodoo. Now he's Jamaican, which sort of makes his background different from how the character of Harris grew up, obviously, but but still, and I love Harris's line, contributing to racial stereotypes, or I'm sorry, contributions to racial stereotypes are not tax deductible. <laughs> love that. I love it. Uh, Mabel King, she's amazing. I kind of wish that she had a little bit more in this episode. Mabel King, I mostly know her, of course, from What's Happening uh, as Mama, but she was also one of the best mother characters ever in The Jerk. She is so good in that. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, She's always a welcome presence on the TV screen. 
And then she gets a great moment where she's got the keys and, and Harris can't quite get the, get the cell door open. Yes. And he, and he, he struggling and, and you, and they, they frame it so that you can see her sort of in the foreground, holding a set of keys in her hand tightly. And then she kind of releases it and dangles them and shakes them and says, it'll work now. And he's like, well, sure. Cause I loosened it up and then he opens right. it. And of course it opens right up. So it's just a little, you know, I mean, it's funny how, how Barney Miller will like do supernatural stuff every once in a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kenneth Tegar. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Every time he's the way, on the show, like, yeah. Didn't you get the, well, we'll, we'll get the, we'll get to the succubus guy in the next episode, but that should have been, that should have been Kenneth Tiger for sure. Oh gosh. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah. The other part of this is the computer crime, the titular computer crime. And yeah, it's, I like how angry Dietrich is getting, but Dietrich is kind of schizophrenic in this a little bit too, because not only is he very angry at this guy for doing this crime, but then he also jokes around with him a little bit, uh, tells him that whole thing about like, what was it? The two 1180s that are talking to each other. And he's just like, and the punchline is not in my data bank. You don't. (laughs) And then he also gets a a little shout out to the X-rated version of Alice in Wonderland, which um, if people haven't seen that great movie. Kristen DeBell is terrific in that, and it's uh, a musical as well. So if you haven't seen the X-rated Alice in Wonderland, I highly recommend it. It's not surprising that Dietrich is the one who's bringing it up. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That guy's a total perv. <laughs> oh, y- yes. I-, I do believe that a an unspoken bit of canon on Barney Miller is that he's the perviest of, of everyone. He leaves Wojo in the dust. Oh, he's God, also yeah. an alien. Yeah. <laughs> Confirmed canon alien. I mean, and I love his thing of, I took a glimpse, just, just a very cursory look at these stamps. And I reckon they're worth $500,000. <laughs> it just happens to know rare stamps as well. And is able to put a price tag on those. And yeah, you know, it is kind of fun that, because I get the feeling and, and he does it at the very beginning and he sort of does it all the way through where he sort of play acts at being the tough cop mm-hmm. with this guy all the way in, until the end when he tells him, get out of here. Right. And, and you, you, you get the feeling he's not super sincere, but at the same time, it's kind of nice to see him. He's coming down on a white collar criminal. He's yeah. not coming down on some guy who was stealing a can of you know, tuna from the liquor store because he's starving. Dietrich would never do that. But for this guy who looks like he might get away with it, he basically he, he does. decides the joke is going to be, I'm going to fuck with this guy and be bad cop. See, he does get away with it. Yeah. He doesn't get he's his well, just desserts. Oh wait, dessert. <laughs> That's a good one. That was a good line. Liz is, is, is putting on her outfit right now. I got, I got to get home. I don't think she's putting anything on. I think it's a matter of what she's taking off and probably putting whipped cream on herself. There you go. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. It's that scene from not another teen movie. Yeah. Barbara Barry and whipped cream. I mean, there you go. I I find it adorable and charming uh, that they, they did a story about a man in his middle age who was excited about going home to have sex with his wife. Mm -hmm. That was a little thing I could identify with. I'm going to go home and have sex with my wife. <laughs> and I'm going to take, I'm going to take this magic bag given to me by a voodoo queen. Yes. And, and I, two times around the bed. Yeah. Two times around the bed. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> cause, cause again, there's nothing a middle-aged man wants more than a magic device. That's going to help the, the sex act go better. Yes. Yes. Because we are, we are very far away from the invention of anything that will help medically that way right these in this is the, on barney miller it's the pre uh viagra days so you, you have to go to a voodoo queen. Well, back in the day it was like we, a bag of chicken bones right like a bag of chicken right. bones and some leaves and you just shake it a couple times and we're called yeah. good it's your mojo <laughs> well you know i mean hey if, if you believe it it works um there was a place in in um where i grew up there were there were there was a street that had a lot of um, sort of Asian-based um, like apothecaries. This is in Monterey Park, California, and this is back in the 80s. And there was this one place that my friends and I always saw, and we always thought it was so funny because there was a hand-painted big like cardboard thing in the window explaining what they had herbs for. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you go in these places, they've just got like these pigeonholes and like a, like a library sort of um, 
you know, a card catalog, just a million drawers that they open up and they take out the ginseng and they take out the yaw root or whatever it happens to be. But, but on the big sign, they had all the things, you know, for, you know, insomnia and for, you know, whatever you were suffering. And then, and then right in the middle, it, it, you know, they have herbs for it said, um, uh, potency. And the next one was impotency. And you're like, well, no, wait a second. (laughs) (laughs) I I need, (laughs) I need the herb that's going to give me potency. No way. I'm sorry. No, I need the one that's going to give me impotency. (laughs) (laughs) What is this? Probably deer penis. Yeah. (laughs) It's or like rhino horn. I was like, if Andrew Zimmern has taught me anything. Yes, yes. If I take both of these things, do they cancel each other out or do they double? I could never quite figure it out. Will they make me as horny as Luger was for his girlfriend? Agonus? Agonus. You know, you don't get a Dumont anymore. They don't make them. So good. Well, speaking of Luger, he actually shows up in the next episode, which is Graveyard Shift. I thought the actual graveyard shift would play into it a little bit more like, oh, we get even crazier people that come in after midnight. And I'm not sure why they're working this graveyard shift because they normally work days. And I don't think that they give an explanation as to why they're suddenly working nights. Um, And I'm not sure if that's going to continue in season six or if this is just kind of wrapping up this season with we are working because they say that they get off at midnight in the last episode. And this one, it sounds like they are still starting close to midnight and then working all night. So I don't, I don't envy them for that. We start off this one with a woman going through a mug book, which we've seen that plenty of times, but we've got Harris dictating into this little tape recorder and he is writing his new book or trying to anyway, called precinct diary. Do you like the title? Well, I prefer blood on the badge. Yes. Better name. (laughs) It's pretty amazing because this is the beginning of that whole storyline, right? Well, he has been writing before, and there's definitely one where he had submitted uh, something to a magazine, and it ended up being an adult magazine, right, Chris? It was that whole X-Files cigarette smoking man thing where it's like, where's the latest issue of Ramona Clef? And it's like, oh, my stories. Oh, my God, they're just fucking like, yeah. Is that, but I, I think Harris's reaction to it was different than the X-Files one. I don't think Harris cared as much if memory serves, but I don't I think remember. he's pretty proud of it, yeah. Yeah, because he got published. Yeah, and then we've but got... Now- Sorry, go ahead, but, I mean, Oh, I'm sorry, Mike, you probably, because I can't tell, Chris, you haven't seen all these episodes in your past, have no, you? No, 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 no. I am, I am enjoying and appreciating this in real time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, but Mike, you have, so, so this, this is like the beginning of, of like Blood a on the big, badge. yeah. Well, it's, it's like, it's kind of his defining uh, subplot that goes, that goes on for seasons, yeah. I mean, um, he's been writing through this entire thing and this, he was doing, it's like one of my favorite jokes from Bernie Miller, the whole thing of, I can type one thing, but be saying another thing. And then <laughs> yeah. they look at the paper and it's exactly what he was saying rather than something else. But it was, um, yeah, it's been slow, but yeah, I can see. And, and Richard, I haven't seen these since they originally aired so i'm not that fresh on these but yeah i do remember blood on the badge and that he's going to be doing a lot more of this writing but he's he's done this before where he's kind of slacked off and tried to you know do his writing thing otherwise but this one i can really see bernie being very annoyed at him um rightly so especially when there's a bomb threat in the precinct and they're on the recorder 1225 bomb threat <laughs> well this this is the beginning of it, it becomes it it becomes a big thing yeah oh, and yeah. and it's yeah. really funny and it's really great and it goes it goes on i mean again for th- throughout almost the end of the series this what starts in this episode and um and and wojo's reaction about like hey i'm always saying stupid things and right you know, I'm getting in trouble for it. So I'm not, you know, I'm a little bit wary of speaking into a tape recorder. Um, all like issues like that come up over and over again. And well, you, you'll see as a play when I watch, I'm like, Oh, wait a second. Is this the beginning of that? Cause I thought it, it started earlier, mm-hmm. but then I'm like, well, they've got, you know, five, three more seasons after this one. So I guess it plays out, you know, throughout those. But anyway, yes, we're beginning the, if you know the show, we're beginning the blood on the badge storyline for, for Harris. 
And um, and yeah, it's um, it's one of the best things. You guys are gonna love it. Which is nice because I know Chris, when you and I were originally talking about the show, it it had no memory between episodes. But then as the show has progressed, they've started to have little things that they carry through. So the whole thing of Dietrich and Harris being roommates and that carried us through for a while. And now just Harris has like the seething hatred of Dietrich gets over it a little bit, but you know, it's still there. I mean, after Dietrich saved his life, I suppose that things are a little bit better, but yeah, this kind of infighting between Wojo and Harris is really nice. And especially when Barney's like, is there something going on? Is there something wrong? And Dietrich's just like, yeah. And then walks away. (laughs) Doesn't say anything else. Just, yeah, there is something going on here. You, uh, you know, you basically, you don't need to worry about it because they work it out by the end of the episode and kind of a nice moment. So the, the bomb threat storyline is, is pretty great. And it, and it kind of resolves in the perfect Barney Miller way, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and I was so thrilled to see the beast Raban in this too. Who's, who's the beast Raban? <laughs> <laughs> Paul L. Smith Wait for my brother Baron. So yeah, yeah from the Paul original Dune, played uh, the Beast Raban in the original Dune movie. Yeah, got it. It's so got funny because it. I just was watching something else, and Paul Smith showed up in that one as well. Oh, it was the In Laws. I just was rewatching the In Laws, and he shows up in that. He uh, is one of the henchmen that's trying to take out. Um, the, uh, Peter Falk sends Alan Arkin to go to his office and take out the right. stuff from the safe. And Paul L. Smith is one of the two hitmen that's coming after him. Oh, okay. That's yeah. so funny. Cause I've seen the in-laws many times. And for listeners, if you like Barney Miller, I, I would, I would actually think that you would also really like the original in-laws with Peter Falk and Alan Arkin. It, it, it somehow it's the same humor, I think. Yeah. Well, and I think we'll be talking about that when we uh, continue on the shabby detective as well, because Chris and I were talking about going outside of just Columbo and talking about some of the Falk stuff as we go along. Oh, oh, okay. Well, 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 if you do and you need another person on the in-laws episode. Boy, putting it in early. It's probably going to be a couple of years, but yeah, (laughs) hopefully the strike will be over by then. Listen, putting it in early. That's, that's my trademark. (laughs) <laughs> you I was, need a bag for that. <laughs> I was going to say, Richard, I, I was hoping more you would uh, offer yourself up to be on the uh, award-winning classic Corky Romano episode that we're going to do. <laughs> I, I Sure, I'm in. All right. never, I have not seen Corky Romano. Oh, wow. It is so a blank spot in my, in my uh, cineast, uh, you know, uh, history. I love that movie. You're in for a treat, Richard. <laughs> Oh, Cork- cool. Okay. Corky yeah. Romano's wild. Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll do some Corky. I, I mean, you like Chris Catan, right? I do. He, he was in what he was in the middle. Have you guys watched the middle? Mm-mm. I will say that, that, that as a person with three children, uh, it, it, um, it, it hits home. The middle is an unsung classic. The, in fact, when it was on, it was always sort of like, oh, Modern Family's the good show. And then the middle is like, whatever. The middle is one of the most well-observed comedies I've ever seen. And it is consistently, brilliantly laugh out loud funny. So if you've never watched the middle, watch the middle. Hmm. Hmm. I like how much Kogan is in these episodes by name. It's almost like he's going to show up again one of these days i mean he's kogan has been part of the show since like some of the earliest episodes because the hilarious thing is that his the actor is milk kogan and he's playing officer kogan so i remember talking about that way back in like one of the very first episodes i think it was ambush or something so season two episode four might have even been before that so um he's the one that's well, trying to get the the trace on the call for um who's putting this bomb threat in milk Kogan is great. Milk Kogan is one of those guys that when you see him, you're like, Oh, right. That guy mm-hmm. who you saw in a million things throughout the sixties and seventies and eighties. And I met milk Kogan nice. at a, at a, get this, a Rockford files reunion that they used to have cast and crew used to show up once a year at different places in LA and I got wind of it and I went and I actually met him and he signed my Rockford Files book. Whoa. Milt Kogan is 
awesome. He was great. And he plays a great character in sort of the, not the two hour pilot, but sort of the first actual episode of the Rockford files. He has a real great interaction with James Garner. So anyways, I'm a big Milt Kogan fan. And I do love that they they keep him alive, sort of in the air, in the in the larger reality of the Barney Miller verse. Instead uh, of mentioning so, Mike, just so we right. know, they don't mention Mike. They mention Kogan over. And over. I want to know where's Mike at? Okay, that's the question we're all asking: is where's Mike? Wait, who's Mike? <laughs> Mike is Art Metrano. He showed up on one oh, episode, and right, they were right, like, right. "Oh, Mike! Hey, Mike!" And where you been, so pal? Him. Yeah. Like we um, were supposed just, to understand there was some sort of re- like relationship between them. And then he's just gone. Yeah. He was there for one episode. Uh, Milt Kogan has been part of the show since season one, episode two. So that's how far back he goes. And he's been in at least six episodes, but then, yeah, I don't know how many times he's been mentioned because he hasn't been in an episode since season two, but here they are still talking about, it. it'd be almost as if they were like, we'll get Chano on the phone and have him trace this call. I wish. Well, they did that in one of the episodes <laughs> yeah. this season. They mentioned Chano, Chano. And I was like, wait a second yeah exactly but do they mention wentworth do they mention Wentworth? they have mentioned wentworth yeah no this feels like the season they should have done that given that we had wojo's girl which is the worst episode of this show yeah by like a country mile and then some and they don't mention her at all that's like the episode to mention it like wentworth where's wentworth she should have been wojo's girl not some like random blonde woman who has no chemistry (sighs) with, with max gale whatsoever yeah yeah, it's like, hey, let's make a pilot, a backdoor pilot with Max Gale, where he's the most unappealing he's ever been in any episode. Like, easily. Yeah. So, for me, the real hero of this episode is Raymond Singer. Uh, he is awesome. He's got a great look to him. He only gets uh, a better look as he goes along and loses more hair. Um, I'm sure Richard, you recognize him from Scarecrow and Mrs. King as well, but he's been in a ton of stuff and he is plagued by a succubus. Dietrich, what's a succubus? <laughs> succubus is a, uh, it's the, the opposite uh, of an incubus. Opposite of an incubus. <laughs> It's a demonic spirit that invades your body at night, drains your sexual energy. Yeah. And we get to see that draining. That's a pretty interesting thing. I did not think that that was actually going to happen in this. And I love when he wakes up. He's just like, anybody got a cigarette? (laughs) This is the guy who, who, if Barney Miller was being made today, that character would be Tony Hale. Oh, wow. Good call. Yeah, I could see that. Wow. Yeah. Like Tony Hale would be like five different characters on Barney Miller. Oh yeah. He's chameleon like that one, isn't he? And, and and just so recognizable as a type that you're sort of like, oh, that guy. And there's not many actors like that, but, yeah. but he's one that we have right now that'd be like, oh, right. He'd be on the love boat. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> yeah, he would. He'd be on all those things. As long as there are no loose seals, I think he'd be fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I really <laughs> like his plot, though it's it's barely a plot. I mean, if anything, I'd probably call it a, like the C plot. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, really, it's not it's not given enough. I mean, it's not given enough because there's not really much there. Like, well, and they shove so much into this. Like the bomb threat kind of comes out of nowhere, and then all of a sudden, boop boop, Luger alert! Here he comes. Just he's there, <laughs> even though it's this late. He's there to support the boys because otherwise what's he going to do barn is he just going to sit in a dark room smoking cigarettes it's so perfect because it's the it's it's lonely luger it's it's like luger on thanksgiving luger on christmas luger after midnight he's he's just this guy and he seems so excited and like joyous that there's been a bomb threat i just had to come down and Make sure you guys aren't getting your guts and your body parts blown to the Poconos. He's thrilled about it. Oh, and he's talking about all the mangled bodies in front of that poor lady who's still looking at that mug book. This I know. Ohio tourist who's come in and it's mugged. What was it? She loses her luggage. She gets mugged. Just all of these horrible things happen to her. And she's spending the entire night at the uh, precinct. But hey, at least it's better than watching Annie. That's fair. And, and Luger, it, it gives Luger the perfect excuse to go into talking about, you know, Foster and Kleiner and Brownie. In this case, Foster, who, 
who was blown up in a Packard, I think, mm-hmm. with six sticks of dynamite under the seat. And and let me tell you, Bond, he was wearing his seatbelt. Didn't help at all. I love him going, Bond, if the bomb squad says this building is safe, then this building is safe. And I'm like, okay. I was waiting for something to happen right at that moment. Right. Yeah. Well, it's safe from bombs. Yeah. But it's not safe from collapsing under the weight of its own age and right. lack of maintenance. Water, the water leaking. Yes. In. Yeah. The, the water <laughs> leaking in. But yeah. So eventually we do get to see Paul L. Smith and he is just mad. Leon Stepanek is the character name. He's just mad because he lives right next door to the precinct and he hates how loud it is that squad cars have killed. What do you say? Four of his cats. Not me. Um, <laughs> yeah. And he, he wants the police to move. He thought it was going to be great for him to be next to a police station. And now he just hates where he's at. Um, but I do love when Barney says, well, we had an open house a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. Again, again, an intercontextual reference. Yes. It's good. It's not yeah. just a sitcom anymore. Cause that's a sitcom thing, right? They got to reset right. it. Got to reset it. Can't have any progress here. Well, exactly. and I love how, I love how his performance was like he wasn't um it wasn't super elevated it was actually pretty sincere you really did get the feeling that he was just like i thought that it was going to be great living next door to a police station and then it really wasn't it's like and beyond all the noise and everything else it's just you don't even say hi and and then he references the opening credits yes he's like you walk by with your new york times under your arm and you don't even say hello <laughs> oh that is how barney walks in because yeah. we see it every week I love it. I and love then they it. freeze frame on his goofy face as he's laughing with the cops not not this guy he couldn't talk to the guy next door. No, he only talks to the cops. Wouldn't that be great if it was just Paul L. Smith at the beginning of every episode, him and Barney just, <laughs> right. Please we recut it as a uh, too many cooks and Paul L. Smith <laughs> just keeps showing up, he's like walking down the hallway. And then they cut over here. He's coming through the door. He's in the cage with Mr. Kopechnik and all this. <laughs> But he has to be dressed as the Beast Raban. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. <laughs> that, that's Who is all... this Moadib? <laughs> uh, it's it's exactly like you spell it. It's yeah. pronounced how you spell it. Man, I, I mean, you could probably say all of the Beast Raban's lines, and we'd be done in ten minutes, if if that. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. He doesn't really have any speeches. No, nope. but he's he's good here. I like him he's really good. here. Yeah. I think I like James Gregory the most out of this episode, but that's also because at this point, he's just such a welcome part of the show compared to where we started. Oh, so long ago where it was like, I don't like this guy at all. I was kind of sad though, because he has put Agonis on the back burner, he says. So it's like finally coming to terms with his homosexuality. Okay. Maybe, but they were, they they hinted at it, Richard. They were, but they did hint at it, Richard. They like, they kind of did, uh, right, Mike? He's do you remember no, what I'm? He's no AC Ducey, you know. Like he, <laughs> it's Richard. He's one of these guys who doth protest too much, especially when the two gay characters who we haven't seen in like it feels like a year now at least. It's like when are these guys coming back? Because I think they come back in the last episode, but I really I miss them. Maybe they well, had, no, maybe they moved out to California. No, they they have not. You guys have not covered any episode where where like uh where Scanlan I think is like oh that we've gotten reports that there's a there's a homosexual in the twelfth precinct. Oh no, we and, we we saw that yeah, one. That was very over yeah, Zatelli. Yeah. 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 Okay. Oh, you and did Zatelli. I was like worried. Back. I want to yeah. blow anything, but okay, good. <laughs> yeah, we, we we know. Okay, about I didn't mean to say I didn't want to blow anything. That wasn't a joke. Oh, I didn't even take it like that. Oh, Chris did. Oh, the look he gave me. I didn't take anything anywhere from anyone. Yeah. Zatelli is also, <laughs> I'm surprised that they aren't having Zatelli run the race on the call since he's actually like going to be coming back as more of a regular character. Yeah. I mean, well, he he essentially replaces what Ron Carey's been doing mm-hmm. for them, right? Right. Right. So, yeah, we, we don't know right now, Richard, if Ron Carey ever gets a promotion or if he's always going to be a plain clothesman who just happens to fill in. So don't we're, tell we're going to be finding out that as we move forward with this, because like I said, I haven't seen these. When, when did this come out at 79? Like, I haven't seen this since then. So 
Right. Well, there, we we should observe the forty year spoiler <laughs> notice statute spoiler of limitations. Alert. Yeah, <laughs> but we'll make it fifty years. That's okay. It's okay. I really only do ten, but we could do forty. That's fine. Well, I'll tell you the episode I do remember very well, and that's the next one, which is Jack Sue a retrospective. Oh which yeah, had to bring the crying. mood down, everybody. Yeah, had me crying way back then, and it still makes me tear up now, man. Especially the way that they end it. So this is the one of the most unusual episodes of Barney Miller or a sitcom ever. Most of the time, if a character if an actor dies, then the character dies or the character goes on an extended hiatus and we just don't talk about them very much. But to face this head on that Jack Sue detective Yamana died six months earlier. It's really something that they just stop the whole thing. They end this season with a half an hour of going through it's a clip show. You know, it's not as obnoxious as like family ties when they would have their clip shows because Michael J. Fox was busy shooting a movie. This is a clip show where they are just highlighting one person and how great he was. And it's really very touching. And it's also kind of shocking that I never realized how little hair Max Gale had at this point in his life. Isn't that amazing? It's like, yeah. okay, we're all kind of stepping out of our characters now. So Max Gale's going to take off the wig. I mean, like, that's kind of incredible. Yeah. It's just about as incredible as my favorite thing in this episode, which is James Gregory's bucket hat. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's a choice. It was a choice. That's all I'm going to say. It's not the choice I would make, but he looks like he's going down to the docks later with Ralph Monza to go fishing and Godzilla's going to pop up. (laughs) It's quite a hat. Yeah. You know, clearly... It was like it's like if you if you put that on on par with Max Gale taking off his toupee, then then what this is is like we are revealing to you our real selves, right? And for him, apparently, that hat was it's like, look, you want to see me? Okay, I'm I'm putting on the hat. You see me out in the world? I'm wearing this hat. James Gregory may not have hair on top of his head because I've never seen him without a hat on. <laughs> He's always wearing of one hat kind. or the, yeah, yeah, it's always a hat. Yeah. It's a hat. Yeah, man. true. Yeah. yeah. And well, I, no, but, beyond, but beyond taking the, the, the toupee off, apparently he also decided to dress like Han Solo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he does. He this vest on and this sort of, you know, kind of collarless shirt or something. I'm like, what's going on? Are you are you about to do the Kessel run? Hal <laughs> Linden looking very good too with this like oh, suede boy. brown jet. They're they're all very good looking men, obviously. But like, yeah, to your point, Richard, it's like we get to see them a little, maybe dressed down a little bit. What's that bucket yeah. hat? I need to get that hat. The one thing that really didn't it didn't bother me, but it disappointed me in this episode was so the way that it's structured. It's basically you know Hal Linden. Here's what happened. You know, Nick, Nick Yamana, um, you know, Jack Sue was a great friend. Nick Yamana was a great character. We're going to celebrate him. And then they will play some clips and they kind of group them together. And they do a really good job of editing and especially editing down like like the werewolf episode. Like they give us a little intro of Kopechny. They give us uh, some of his stuff and then like him really going crazy in the cell. So they do a great job of like sh- shrinking these down to bite-sized pieces. But there's one moment where Steve Landisberg is talking about how he and Jack Sue were like little kids and the way that they would crack up and crack each other up and that he couldn't look at Jack Sue because he'd be laughing and then he would start to laugh or vice versa. I wanted outtakes. I wanted an outtake right there of one of those bust up moments, but instead they just cut over to, I think Levitt maybe, and just, or sorry, Ron Carey. And then he does his little spiel and then they show some more and I'm just like, no, I wanted to see what the real Jack Sue was like. I think that would have been really cool. Yeah. Well, I the thought the same oppor- thing. It's the only I'm opportunity. Sorry, go no, go ahead, Richard. No, I was just going to say, I thought the same thing and it almost feels like that was not um, like outside of the Carol Burnett show that was sort of not oh, a boy. thing yeah. to sort of show it, it was sort of, that's a later almost internet age phenomenon where we're allowed to see really behind the scenes mm. or, or maybe, or maybe even like, you know, 
sort of DVDs, maybe there there were some things like that where they would have a, a gag reel. But yeah, I wanted that too. I because we don't we don't have that. And so we don't really get to see what it was like filming. You know, it's funny when you were talking about how they were doing the graveyard shift, and I was like, well, maybe they decided to do that because it was two in the morning anyway. Right. Right. So why not just make it the graveyard shift? Because he's talking about like, it was three o'clock in the morning and we we're just finishing tape. I was like, oh yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I trust Otto, <laughs> but yeah. just to hear it from the actor themselves, like, yeah, we we're here till three in the morning. I was like, oh my God. Well, that, that part really always confuses me. But I, again, if you've read Otto Bruno's book or, or if you know anything about the show, they would, they'd be filming all night, but at a certain point, like like the evening filming of a three camera sitcom is something that happens because they would bring in a, a studio audience. And so they, they, you know, don't do it in the middle of the day. They do it when people are available in the evenings, like a show. Mm-hmm. But at this point they weren't filming in front of a studio audience anymore. So why they weren't able to just start at like 10 AM and start filming. Right. I have no idea. So, so it, it sounds miserable. And I, I give that cast so much credit that they were walking into work at whatever six, seven, eight o'clock at night. And they knew they were going to be there till four in the morning. And they were expected to be funny, not in front of an audience, not getting any energy. And they're going to be doing take after take after take. Um, my respect for them goes way, way up. I have Don't... to say though, my respect goes a little bit down <laughs> given that, that, that for certain people and certain decisions that were made here with this retrospective, because Don't Abe Vigoda's, Abe Vigoda's not here. Right. And Abe Vigoda's presence is, is sorely missed because Jack Sue and Abe Vigoda realistically had way more chemistry and they were doing a lot more playing off of one another than Dietrich. Or or yeah. Ron Carey. And like and look, we know why. And it's unfortunate because, you know, when you're the breakout star, you want to make sure that you're the breakout star. I get it. I totally get it. You're protecting your place, you're protecting your value. I understand it. But this is what happens because of it. You burn bridges. And it, it's it is a glaring omission that Abe Vigoda is not here. Yeah. To see him and to see Chano, uh Gregory. Sierra just there in those clips. It's like, oh man, it really reminds you because you know, we haven't seen Chano in four seasons, but he still casts a great shadow on this show for me. Well, it was interesting that 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 you know how Lyndon sort of made a, rem- a comment that was like, look, no one actor is is right. sort of like not irreplaceable, but kind of like so indispensable that the show would end and right. in a way he was kind of acknowledging look we've we we've had people leave wentworth chano fish but mm-hmm. uh, you know and now and now um yamana but the the show goes on but he he was here from day one and so we we remember him um whereas you know if abe vagoda had tragically died that same year I, I don't know. It would have been a little different. I guess they did have to sort of explain how Yamana was missing from the show. And so they did. I'm look, I'm glad they did it. This was all good, but but it also sort of tells all the actors, hey, if one of you accidentally dies tomorrow, um the show will go on, but maybe you'll get a clip episode. <laughs> but here's the other thing, though. I'm sure James Gregory was shaking in his boots. Yes. <laughs> to push back, though, Richard, on what you're that. saying, they had an opportunity to write Jack Sue out of this show, and they didn't take it. They straight up did not take it. They, like, backed out right at the last second. And knowing what we know now, that would have been a better... I mean, I'm not saying this episode's not perfectly fine. It's on a very special episode of Barney Miller. That's what this is. But it, it it's a weird thing because, again, like you've mentioned, Mike, it's just kind of unprecedented in a lot of ways. But for me, well, it's just... I wish they had written him out of the show in a satisfying way and then done this as opposed to him just disappearing because the reason they do this is because he disappears off the show but what was the opportunity like what was the thing he felt underappreciated and he fucking left he's like fuck all y'all i don't feel like you appreciate me even but he put the screws to barney because it was like i i filed this away and you got mad at me for not filing it something to that effect right mike right you're talking about that episode right but that was this season yeah and that was one before the final time that we see him and then he just disappears with no 
mention. But, but, you know, but, okay, just, but wait a second. But, but okay, I, I, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't mean to get super in the weeds here. But no. but at the time when that episode was written, like, did they know that he was sick or, or that he was eventually never going to finish out the show? Or, I, that's the I part I'm never clear on. Like, knew, if they thought he yeah. was, it's like, well, he's sick, but he's coming back. But then he didn't come back. Like, like at what did I forget what the Otto Bruno book said or what it, anyone said? Yeah, I. I I don't think that they knew, and I think that's why they. I don't think that they thought that this was a chance for him, for us to write him out of the show. I think they were just like, "Oh yeah," and, and this week Nick is mad, but don't worry, he'll be fine next week. And next week came, and they did the show, and then after that, there's no more Nick. So it uh, just it would okay, have been yeah. perfect timing had they been able to take advantage of that, but unfortunately, they didn't. But I mean, wouldn't they have been filming? Wouldn't this have been filmed? And they would have, I mean, again, like we don't know when this was being released or anything, but they could have just swapped him and changed the ending of that, the Nick episode, right? Again, because he does leave. He goes away and you think, oh, he's left. Like, I really thought he left in that episode, you know? Mm -hmm. I think, I I think there'd be, again, TV then was not what TV is now. And I think it would have been very strange for them to, to, to leave on even a halfway uncomfortable note like he he feels underappreciated so he quits and that's his last appearance on the show i i I get a feeling they they would have really not wanted to do that especially danny arnold was still there at this point you know so uh, that while while narratively it makes sense to us it's like oh well that's a way a character might leave a show Mm -hmm. I, i i think they would they'd be really uh gun shy about doing that Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I just, it's interesting the way they handled some of the, because we mentioned Chano, right? Chano is another good example of like how they've handled characters leaving because they still mention him. So they could have even gone as far as to just keep mentioning Yamana, like Yamana's doing this. Like, right. It, I think it speaks volumes to the respect that everyone on the cast has for Jack Sue, ultimately. And right. I think the respect among the cast, crew, everybody, and the way they talk about him so effusively, you know, Obviously, he was a very big part of what made the early seasons of this show really work. And like you said, Mike, it is very sad. Yeah. And I I think you guys can track down. And when I say you guys, I mean, listeners can track down. There's a documentary called You Don't Know Jack, which is about his whole career, which is very interesting. He's an Asian-American man of Japanese descent who who then um, plays a Japanese character, but by then he had taken on the name Jack Sue, which implies that he's Chinese, but that was a reaction to racial prejudice around the time of World War II and, and right after. So so th- there was a lot of sort of racial politics that he had to um, navigate throughout his career. And, and they reference it in this retrospective episode about how he was in an internment camp and and he had every right to sort of be bitter about that and how his country treated him. And yet he chose not to. And if you want to know more, check out that documentary. They, again, it gets touched on in this episode, but there's, there's, there's a much, there's a really interesting story about the actor. If you, if you want more. Shockingly similar story to George Takei. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. yeah. When they talked about that, I was like, oh yeah. Cause there's that George Takei documentary. That's Right. Fascinating. And I, he did, I mean, in, in Takei's book that he did in like the late eighties, early nineties, like half of the book is just devoted to his experiences in the internment camp. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a, Jack Sue is in a lot of ways, a testament to like just doing the good work and not worrying about all the other bullshit they have to put up with. Cause again, like you said, Mike, the amount of like racial politicking, changing of his last name, changing of his identity and his ethnicity. Like there were plenty of um, uh, Hispanic or Italian, I think it was Italian actors that were, that were claiming to be Hispanic or the other mm-hmm. way around in the eighties to get, to get cast. I, I, one of the actors in the original nightmare on Elm street talks about it and never sleep again, where he was like, well, I had to, I was Hispanic, but I had to be Italian for this movie. Right. And it's like that, you know, again, like that's a testament to people just being like, fuck it. I want to do this. And yeah, I'm, I'm, it's bittersweet, but I'm glad that they did something for Jack Sue. You know, it's like the wise man once said, there's uh, too many writers in Hollywood, but there's never enough Indians. Wow. Boy, you really, really going right for the tchotchkes today. Aren't you Mm -hmm. Mike? Mm -hmm. I need that Barton thing feeling here and you're just not giving it to me. Like, I don't think I'm breaking the strike by talking to you guys. 
You but, are not. I, I checked WGA guidelines today just to make sure, and I almost sent you the link <laughs> to it. There was an article today about how does the WGA strike affect your favorite podcasts. So you well, are in say, the clear. Don't worry, we, you're fine. We don't have you a are. fucking union. That's why it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. That's we don't literally have a union, why. and you don't get paid for this. So yep. right there, yep. you go. We're and, not protected and, at all. Yes. And, and I'm not and I'm not promoting anything because they've asked us not to promote. So so that that will not be happening on this episode. So you won't but, be sharing the link as usual? No, I will not. <laughs> I will be sharing a very different link. A link where you can donate to the to to the Writers Guild fund so that <laughs> to the strike fund so we can all continue living. Not me, I'm fine. I'm talking about the kids. You know, the kids. For the kids. Yeah. yeah. Won't somebody think of the children? <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a lot of young writers out there having a rough time, you know. Yeah. Uncle Richie tries to do what he can to bring a little. I'm like the Luger on the strike line. <laughs> I like walk around and talk about the old days, Kleiner and Foster and Brownie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, back when I did this in 2007. Right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I swear to God. No, I'm literally like, you know, I just go, I just go down to the picket line because uh, I'm lonely and my right. TV blew up. <laughs> I just want to yeah. talk about the old days. Just be me there in my room alone at night, smoking, <laughs> smoking cigarettes in the dark until Susan yeah. comes home. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. I put Agonis on the back burner. You know? <laughs> I, just, I just want to talk to the kids, you know, kind of give them a little pat on the back, you know. I mean, I appreciate that there's a picket line, but I would be much more interested in a wicket line. Wicket yeah, E Warwick. True. Yeah. <laughs> that would be something to see. No, yeah, no. The- <laughs> wow. Eat you to, dude. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Well, laugh it up, guys. I, I do have to say that they. <laughs> laugh really it up, buzzballs, is what you should have said, Richard. You, you missed go. your opportunity, <laughs> and we can't go back now. <laughs> there's no going back. I do really like the clips that they chose for this, and I'm glad that they didn't do the coffee thing through the whole thing, but the use of the coffee montage was really good. The whole thing, you know, talking about the racism, having um, our friend there from, uh, not from Internal Affairs this time, because it's the same actor that plays Scanlon, but he's an army guy in this one. Yamana! <laughs> that whole thing. <laughs> or when he, uh, when... Dietrich is asking about uh, what and he wants to go back to the homeland. He's like, I was born in Omaha. <laughs> hey, we've got a city in uh, Nebraska. Sounds just like that. I love that. I absolutely love that. And then to end with the prostitute scene um, and that moment, uh, that Christmas episode was so special. And when they raise up their coffee mugs to Nick and all toast him, it, it yeah. made me choke up. And then that, shot of him afterwards and no music as they start the credits a little bit and then they do the full credits well i've got freaking goosebumps here talking about this yeah it was really well done i mean uh you know clip episodes get a lot of uh uh disregard but but this one had there was a good reason and it was executed really really well and you could really i think you really got a feeling that those guys were real friends and had true regard for for Jack Sue. So I, I I think it was very, very well done. Yeah. I'm, I'm in total agreement. It's a very special episode of this show that it's weird that this show has the opportunity to do it, but I'm kind of glad that they set what might be considered a precedent for this kind of thing moving forward. So next month we're going to be back and we're going to be cracking open the sixth season of Barney Miller. I'm really excited for this because this fifth season has been really strong. I mean, this is probably some of the best stuff that we've seen. I know, Chris, that we've said a few times this feels familiar, but I feel like they've got this down to an art now. So we will probably still keep saying that it feels familiar. Well, and I'm so excited to see Barney Miller going into the 80s. Yeah. Like that for me is the excitement point here. Cause like these goofy guys make sense in the seventies, but I'm ready to see what the world looks like with them in the eighties. Yeah. Get ready for Reaganomics, buddy. Trickling on down, baby. Mm-hmm. I got my mouth open. The tiniest little drop for me. Until we come back next month to talk about the first three episodes of the sixth season, Inquisition, the photographer and vacation. Richard, what have you been up to? I know striking. Okay. never mind. Strike it. Strike that. 
Hey, no. hey strike no, it from I, the no, record. I think we, suddenly it's an episode of All in the Family. No, we're going to talk about this. Uh, I am I am on strike with the rest of the Writers Guild, soon to be joined by the Directors Guild and possibly the Actors Guild. So as as uh, as as the giant studios and conglomerates absolutely lose control of their workforce and what they think they control in Hollywood, we'll see how this plays out. Hmm. And Chris, what have you been up to, sir? Chris Stashu is a podcaster and has been working in the industry since 2014. He has many credits to his names, including The Culture Cast, Twilight Zone 1985 Dreams for Sale, and Chronicles from the Crypt. This has not been written by ChatGPT, but Richard thought it was for a second. He looked up like it was. Uh, no, I, I totally I, thought it was. <laughs> I just mentioned a couple places that you can uh, find me, but ultimately I think you want to go over to weirdingwaymedia.com. Check out all the other shows that uh, we put together over there, including Richard's wife's show, 80s TV Ladies, which we're in the 80s. We're about to be in the 80s, and we're not talking about the shows they're talking about. They're talking about them, so you should go listen to their show. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 blowing up. They they get they got Tyne Daly up one side and Sharon Gless down the other. Whoa, man! Oh man! Yeah, she's doing a great job over there, and people should definitely check that one out. And they can check out some of the shows that I work on. Uh, they are all available over at weirdingwaymedia.com, as is the aforementioned shows. That's the place where you want to go. You know, if you're listening to the show and you enjoy it, please feel free to go to wherever you picked it up and uh, leave us a review and a rating. Spread the word. Let people know. You know, I was posting about this whole uh, Amazon scandal and one of my buddies says, oh, that, that sounds like a really good show. I've never heard of it before. Oh, I'm nice. like, you know what? We we do a podcast on that. So I'm a little disappointed in you. Just know. And I'm talking to you. He, he knows who he is. 